understand it's the God of this world that is now educating us and training us. And we need to understand that principle. We're either being, by, we're either being instructed by God or we're being instructed by Satan and the standards of his world. One or the other. And God has given us a mind that we might learn and that we might reason with him and that we might know his will. And it's important that you and I can establish that, that which is of God. Because without him, we're lost. Without him, even our very best is really nothing. Is really nothing. Now, God says, let's reason together. Let's think this thing out together. Let's plan this out together. And when he comes to that, he wants to weigh our thoughts against his principles, against his standards. Now, there's two principles that I want you to really gather here. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, you'll see them up on the screen up there. There's these thoughts that I want you to gather. I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. Or you won't satisfy yourself, the sinful nature. You won't satisfy the flesh. And oftentimes, our goal is to satisfy what? Ourselves, our flesh. He says, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Now we got to figure that out. The Spirit wants one thing, the flesh wants another. And God now has to talk with us. And that's what's so important about you knowing God's word and your prayer life. Because God is going to speak to you in both of them. And he says, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So now you've got this war in the mind. Have you ever spent one of those nights you can't sleep because you can't figure it out? You've had those nights that you've been troubled and you can't sleep because the mind just wandering everywhere, going everywhere, thinking about everything. You're battling something in your mind and you can't rest. He says, they are in conflict with each other. And for some reason as Christians, we don't take that as truth. But the spirit that dwells in us fights against that fleshly nature or the things of this world that are not of God. There's a fight that goes on. So that you do not do what you want. The individual never does, and this is the fallacy of this. You and I really never do what we want to do. We either do what God wants us to do, or we do what Satan wants us to do. We are never, never, never able to do what we want to do. We choose between one or the other. Between God's will or the will of the God of this world, or the things of this world. We choose. That's all we do. We choose. We decide. God doesn't make us do anything else. Now, there's two principles I want you to look at before we go to Proverbs 16. I want you to hold these principles in your mind. In Romans 7, 21 to 23, it says, I find this law at work. Now, most of the time we know the second part of that verse. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And we quote that quite often. 
But what I want you to take note of what goes before it is this law that is constant. It's always there. It's a law at work that when I want to do good, evil's right there. When I want to do the right thing, evil's right there prompting me to do the other. That's a law. So you need to understand this. Satan will never leave you alone. So Satan has to remake things and deceive and trick for that you can somehow believe that this thing is all right. That this thing won't really hurt me. This thing won't bite me. This thing won't cause me to fail. Satan has to paint it up so good that you'll step into it and you'll buy it. But he says, the law at work. And what's the law that's at work? Is evil. Is right there with you. He comes down and says, for in the inner being, I delight in God's law. Now, if you say you're a Christian, you ought to be reading God's word, not just on Sunday morning. It ought to be being instilled in your heart daily. And understand, you will never exhaust the word of God. I don't care if you read it through a hundred times, if you read it from Genesis to Revelation. God will always be speaking to you. He says, I delight in God's law. But listen to what Paul says now. But I see another law at work. He's talking about this law up here. I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my what? My mind. Where I'm reasoning out God's instructions. Where I'm trying to understand God's purpose. Where I'm trying to understand God's ways. And Satan's interfering now. Now understand, to the non-believer, God's law isn't even there. So it's strictly Satan's law at work. But for the believer, he's tussling. And this is how we have to work at this in keeping sin out of our life. It's God's responsibility to reveal his truth to us and his will. Satan will always take the position of confusing us. And God is not the author of confusion. God wants everything clear. That's why he intervenes in our thoughts, in our planning. He goes on to say, Paul says, I see this other law at work in my members and my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Now, understand something. Christ went to the cross to deal with our sins, yes. That we would not have the penalty of those sins. He paid for those penalties on Calvary. But sin is not done away with yet. Sin is not eradicated. Sin is not destroyed. So as long as you and I are in this flesh, here on earth, we're going to have to deal with sin. We're going to have to deal with sin. Because it's not eradicated. God then deals with sin in two ways here upon earth. One, he sets us free from it. That we do not have to be a slave to it, as Romans 6 tells us. Sin does not have to be our master. We choose that sin masters us. We choose that. But God sets us free from sin. He doesn't eradicate the sin. He sets us free from sin. The second thing God does with our sin is this. Sometimes we get caught up in our sin and God delivers us out of our sin. 
Another word he uses is rescue. He rescues us from it. He sets us free from it from the very beginning that we don't have to step into it. But if we step into it and we ask for forgiveness, he'll deliver us from it. He'll rescue us out of it. And understand this. Once you're in sin, you on your own cannot walk away from it. Because it says sin takes hold of you. It makes you a prisoner. It captivates you. And once you get into one sin, the mind begins to click into other sins and into other sins and into other sins. And what God does from the very beginning in the mind, where it all begins at, if you'll listen to God and follow his instructions, he sets you free from the thoughts of sin. And the plans that you make to sin. But if you don't listen and follow the instructions and you go on into sin, only thing God can do at that point is wait for you to repent and then deliver you from sin. And the reason that God allows you to step into that sin is because of your ignorance and your, your stupidity, your hard-headedness, that you would not follow his instructions. And at that point, what you're saying to God is this. I got a better plan for me than you. So God allows you to step into it knowing you will not succeed. That there's just going to be a failure and a mess. And God then at that point, because you refuse to follow his instructions, you tie his hands until you say, Lord, forgive me. Help me. And then he begins a deliverance in your life. Now, if you go to Proverbs 16.1, this text has taken me in things that, boy, I never thought we would go this far. Studying this out. But look what he begins to say. To man belongs the plans of the heart. But from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we went to the area about the plans and how they are developed. Sometimes by listening to the fools that are around us. We get our advice from other folks and other things and so forth. I want to bring up a couple of things in your mind. When you're going through your thought process, you need to understand, one, you're going to hear you. You're going to hear your thoughts. Then you're going to hear the thoughts of your friends around you. You're going to hear that. You're going to hear family members' thoughts. You're going to hear the thoughts of mom and dad, the way you were raised. You're going to hear the thoughts of the people that you're running with at that time. You're going to hear those thoughts. Then you're going to hear the voice and the thoughts of demons that come in. Understand, those thoughts are going to come in that are contrary to God's will. You're going to hear those thoughts. And you need to recognize that Satan, boy, as you start planning it, our thoughts go out into a spiritual world. They just don't stay here. And demons, they can't read your future, but they can hear your thoughts. And they begin to influence your thoughts, your plans, and the way you think. You ever hear a person say, well, I believed it to be true. But at the end, you found out it's not true. 
What, what caused you to believe it to be true when it really was not true? Something influenced that. Something inspired you to believe it's true when it really is not true. It says in the second part of that verse, through your thoughts, through your planning, God gives you the freedom to do that. But the second part of that verse, one, it says, the reply comes from the Lord. That word reply in Hebrew means either that which comes back is either favorable or opposes. That is favorable or it opposes. Either God is putting his stamp of approval on your thoughts or God is opposing your thoughts. And God has to get into your thought life that he can arrange and reason with you. Remember, you're going to hear yourself. You're going to hear your friends. You're going to hear the voices of demonic spirits. And if you really listen, you'll hear the voice of God speaking to you. Because God has to get in there and get all the confusion out. So you're going to hear those four, four voices in your mind. Now, the voice of God is either going to give you approval on your thoughts and your plans and your ideals of what you're putting together, or God's going to oppose it. And that's what he says somewhat in that second verse. So in the second verse he says, all man's ways seem innocent to him. All of our thoughts seem good and right and just. And even our bad thoughts, we'll justify them. We'll reason them out and saying, well, it's because of that person and that person, so I really need to do this. Even though I know it's the wrong thing. I'll do the wrong thing because I've reasoned it out within myself that it will be good for me. It may be good for you, but it hurts a lot of other folks. And the reality is this. It's not even good for you. But in our own thinking, in the way in which we do and we act, we believe that we're the captain of what we're doing here and we're in charge here. And therefore, all my thoughts are right for me. They may not be right for you, but they're right for me. And then we follow through on those actions. But look what it says. But the motives are weighed by the Lord. Your thoughts, your plans are put on a scale. And they're weighed. Any of us know about a scale, you put those old weights on one side, you put yours here, and you want to see them balance. And then what you want to see on God's side, you want to see yours tilt down, God's rise up in a sense, on that scale. And God says, I'm going to weigh your thoughts. Now, if he's going to weigh them, there has to be some manner in which he can weigh them, and we know that they're being weighed, and a principle that we can use also to govern our thoughts. It's always the word of God that we're going to govern. It, even with Eve, she was deceived by Satan based on this very fact. If you eat of this, you'll be like God. A deception. But understand something. The instructions were never really given to Eve directly by God. It was given to her husband. The husband had to give them to Eve. Now at this point, it was not so much Eve believing God, that was it was believing who? Her husband. Go to me to Philippians chapter 4. I think we can use this to help even gauge our own thoughts. Because the end of this verse, hey, 
He says, think on these things. In other words, include these things in your thoughts. Include these things in your thinking. Include these things in your planning. A company, when they strategize and they plan, they have certain criteria that they try to follow. What is it going to cost us? How will it will affect our business, our employees? How will it affect our, our consumers? They go through a bunch of questions before they implement any plan. As they sit around the table and go through those thoughts process, they're talking about the people who will purchase this product. They're talking about the bottom line to this product. They're talking about what their profitability is going to be. They're, they're talking about what it's going to cost them. They go through this whole thinking process. As Christians, do we really think our lives through? Or do we wing it? Do we fly by the seat of our plant, pants? Or do we really seriously think it through, pray it through, and commit things to God. In Philippians 4, I think God gives us some, not an exhaustiveness, but a place to start. And I, and, and I think we have to start with it sometime. But we don't want to deal with it. So in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, are your thoughts true? Is there truthfulness to your thoughts? How much of your thoughts are fantasies? Give you an example. I used to think I could fly. And I'd be in my room and I sometimes had my arms out and I'd be flying, my eyes closed, and I'd be flying. And in my thought life, or in my life of imagination, I was really flying. The problem with that is this. Not true. <laughs> but for me as a young man, it was very true. I was flying. But it's not true. It's okay to have an imagination, but you got to bring the imagination. Is this true? It's okay to imagine that some young man really loves you or some young woman really loves you, but you got to come to the bottom question. Is it really what? True. Your imagination won't make it so. Just because you think he loves you, that don't mean it's true. Just because you think she loves you don't mean it's true. Okay. The issue what God wants us to deal with is this. It's truth. It's truth. It's truth. So in my thoughts, God wants me to deal with the truths of my thoughts. And I have to deal with those truths. Okay. And sometimes that's hard to deal with is the truth. And that's what God wants me to deal with from the very beginning. So he's going to weigh my thoughts. Are they true? And he's going to present those truths to me if I'll listen to him. Understand this, the scripture says, and one of the titles for the spirit is this, the spirit of truth. Because the Holy Spirit's going to bring truth into my life into my thoughts, into my plans, into my ideals. He's going to bring truth because he does not want me to believe a lie. He does not want me to believe a lie. He doesn't want me to follow a lie. He wants me to build my life on truth because that's a solid foundation. And truth sometimes can hurt. Truth can hurt. And we desire not to deal with truth. And we need to deal with it. 
and it's important to deal with, to deal with truth. The very next thing he brings out in there, he says, is it noble? Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is noble. Noble had to do with character. King James used the word honorable. If you ever watch some of the old English stories, you, you hear the king talking about gathering the nobles, the people of character, people of value, people of morals, the nobles, not the commoners, but the nobles, because they were honorable. It was character. So what God's dealing with now in my thought life, are your thoughts revealing your character? Understand the plans you put into action and the way that you act and the way you behave shows forth your character. It shows forth your character. And he says, is it noble? Is it showing forth something that shows a godly character? That thought. And that thought and that plan doesn't show a godly character or godly characteristics, get rid of it. Get rid of it. So God is worth thinking, boy, he's, he's going to bring these things in. Is it true? Is it honorable? Then he comes back and he says, is it right or just? Hey, is it really right? Is it the right thing to do? Or is it the right time to even do this thing? See, something can be right, but it may not be the right time. It can be right. But sometimes we don't need to do it because it may bring more harm. So God's going to deal with that area of right in many different fashions for us in our thoughts. God's in there if we'll listen to him. Now he says, don't quench the spirit. Because the spirit of truth is going to speak. But don't quench him. Don't tell him to shut up. Don't tell him to stop talking to you. Don't tell him, I don't like what you're saying. You want to keep listening. You want to keep listening. You need to understand this about God. God really is on your side. He's on our side. God is not against us. But oftentimes as Christians, we think the God that loves us is against us and do not want us to succeed or to have joy. And that's just thoughts from the enemy. God wants to give you the desires of your heart, but he'll give them to you only as you follow his instructions. And he won't deviate. He won't compromise with you. You have to be willing to walk with him 100% and trust him and believe him. No matter what's going on, that you're going to trust him. And you're going to choose to do what is right. Even though it may hurt you for a moment. Then he goes on, he says, is it pure? The purity is this. Is there any fleshliness in it? Oftentimes our thoughts center only around who? Me. It doesn't give consideration to anyone else. I learned a long time ago with my children's they didn't care if I worked a 12-hour day. When I came home, they still wanted me to work. So we had to reverse that thing. When I come home, go get my house shoes. When I come home, go run my bath water. You know, rather than putting me to work, I decided to put them to work. They, they, and, and, and the whole process is this here. But God is saying, is there any carnality in this where it's just about you? 
Well, going to get my house shoes may seem like it was just about me, but it was training them to obey me. Because sometimes that's not what they wanted to do, because they were playing. When I would say, go clean out my bathtub after I got done with the bath, well, I didn't take a bath. That, that, that isn't the issue. I told you to go clean out the bathtub. And parents, let me share this with you. If you don't teach your children to see about you now, they won't see about you when you get old. It's something they have to learn to do. So you teach them while they're young for what you're going to need them to do for you when you're older. Some of them come up, well, you're trying to make me a slave. No, just trying to teach you. There's some things in life that you may not want to do that you may have to do. Is there any fault in this thing? That's the purity that God's looking at. Because what God's going to reveal to you is this. The faults that are in your thoughts. He's going to reveal to you the faults that are in your plans. Because see, all the ways of a man see is himself right until God gets hold of it. And God's going to deal with it. He's going to show you the faultiness of your plans. He shows you the faultiness of your thoughts. Then he says, is it lovely? The lovely here, not that people love it, but is it acceptable? Is it pleasurable to others? Not to you, but is it acceptable in the sight of others? And you know what we've come up with, Satan has told us? It don't matter what others think. We always say that until we get in front of a judge. Now we're really concerned about what the judge thinks. But we ought to be very concerned of what other people think about us because what other people are thinking about us is what we are mirroring to them. That's what they're seeing. They're not thinking anything else than other than what we are portraying. If we portray ugliness, they're going to see us as ugly. If we're portraying righteousness, they're going to see us as though as a godly woman, a godly man. It's what we're portraying before the people is what they're going to see. And the Lord is saying, is your thoughts and your plans, are they lovely? Are they appearing? Do they appear good to others? Are they acceptable to others? Are they pleasurable to others? Is your life pleasurable to other people? Is it acceptable in the sight of other people? Or are you someone that people like to run away from? Are you someone that people don't want to spend much time with? And, And if that's so, there's a reason behind that. It's not just this thing, well, they don't like me. What you got to ask is this, what, is, what are the reasons that you have portrayed or you have given that they don't like you? It's not just people just don't like you. Then he says, is it admirable? Is it something well-spoken? Is it something highly respected? Is it a good report? Is it that which can be commendable, even? Can I um, brag about you? Can I talk about you in a very positive, uplifting way? Can I really say good, wholesome things about you? That's where we came up with that little old saying, if you can't say nothing good, say It's surprising how Satan's giving us little things that are, you know. And when we see our brothers and sisters in a fault, we should say something to them. 
When we see something that's not acceptable, we should say something. But what we're so scared of, somebody's going to come back to us and say, well, that ain't none of your business. And that pushes us away. He says, is it excellent? Does it leave a feeling or an action of virtue that allows for moral goodness? What follows that thought is there moral goodness that follows it. What follows that plan is there moral goodness that's in it. And the last one, he said, is it praiseworthy? Is it something that we could take out and really brag about? Is this something that we can go out and really talk about and share it with somebody else about so-and-so? You know, they really did this. And I'm so proud of the way that they did it. I'm so proud of the way they conduct themselves. Is it commendable? Is your life commendable? And he says, when all those thoughts come in, you need to weigh those thoughts against these things. That's why he says, think on these things. When you think on these things with your thoughts and interject them in there, they will weigh your thoughts. The first thing, if it's not true, I throw it out. Okay. And we just begin to do that. And we look at it. If it's not true, I throw it out. If it's not noble, I throw it out. If it is not right or just, I throw it out. I just go down the line. If it's not pure, I throw it out. If it's not love, I throw it out. I weigh the thoughts. And I'm listening to God. Because he says he would weigh those thoughts. Go back to Proverbs 16. I want you to go to verse 20 with me. He says, whoever gives heed to instructions. So what God is doing when he's intervening into your thoughts, he's giving instructions. He's reasoning with you. And he's going to give you his instructions about this thing. Why is he going to give you his instructions? Because he wants you to succeed. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to move ahead. He doesn't want the failure. He says, whoever gives heed to instructions, prosper. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. When God gives instructions, we always got to ask this. Do I trust him? Because what you're trusting him with is your life and your plans and your ideals. And the whole process, will I trust him? And he says, whoever gives heed. I want you to take a good look at those first few words. Whoever gives heed says you have a choice. Because you don't have to give heed to God's instructions. You don't have to give heed to God's ways. You don't have to give heed to what God is saying to you. You have to choose to do that. Go over to John 7.17. St. John chapter 7 verse 17. If anyone chooses to do God's will, now catch that. If you choose to do God's will, you're not being forced to do it. You're being given the instructions of God's will for your life. You're given instructions to be able to succeed in life. 
You're given instructions to be able to profit and move ahead. But you have to choose to accept the instructions. You have to choose God's will for your life. You can either choose God's will or you can reject God's will. That's your choice. He says, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak of my own. But I want you to catch that very first part. Choose to do God's will. Go over to Luke chapter 10. I want you to understand, in your life, there will be distractions. And sometimes people are distracted from hearing God's will. Sometimes we see people leave out of the auditorium, they're being distracted from hearing God's will, so Satan takes them out and moves them somewhere else. Hey. And what you have to desire is to know God's will. So Satan in his trickery moves us. He distracts us. And what we forget is this. The most important thing in life is to know God's will in my life. That's the most important thing. Is to know God's will in my life. The second most important thing is this. Is be willing to do it. You can know it and not do it. And you'll wonder what happened to your life. Why the mess? Why all the hardship? Why all the trouble? Now that's not to say when you follow God's will there won't be trouble. But I'll tell you this, the battle won't be yours. For the battle is the Lord's. Come with me to 38, Luke 10, 38. Listen to this little story about Mary and Martha. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet doing what? Listening. If you don't take time to listen to God, you will not be successful. You got to take time to listen to God in your thought life. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. And you got to take time to listen for God giving you directions, giving you the correction to your plan. God isn't against your plan, He wants to correct your plan. God created us to think. And God gets glory because he made us in that part of the image like him that we would think and plan and do. You can't say God just did things haphazardly because God planned for a place for the sun, a place for the moon, a place for every star he put in place. And Jesus, when he was in the wilderness being tempted, he thought before he answered. He gave thought to his answers. And when he was struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was giving thought to what was going to take place to him personally. The beating, the cross. He was giving thought to that. But finally concluded, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Because he knew what the will of the Father was. Most of us know what God's will is for us in a particular time. The issue is this. Do we have the character and the fortitude to choose God? He said... The woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now catch in verse 40. But Martha was distracted. 
What distracts you from listening to God? What distracts you from taking time out and sitting and talking with God? What is so important here that if God says, just give me 30 seconds, you can't take 30 seconds and reason with God. The guy was getting so upset with me down at the car dealer because I told him, if God wanted me to have that car, God would have kept it for me. We went through two or three cars. And one car said, I got to go home and pray about it. What you got to pray about? Well, I got to pray that this is what God really wants me to have. And if it's here tomorrow, I'll come back and get it. What scripture says, and we learn it, be anxious for what? The, the whole process sometimes, we just need to wait on God. How many of you need to be married yesterday? Hey, wait. Wait on the Lord. Hey, just wait. God knows what your heart desires. And he's a good God. And if you'll follow him, he'll give you the very best. And he says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And sometimes we're distracted by all the preparations of life that we think that has to be made for us to move ahead. We're distracted by this thing and that thing. And somehow God gets put on the back burner. And we don't call him until we're in a tragic or a crisis. Now all of a sudden I got time for him. Where if I've given him time beforehand, I may not be in the crisis. After God has replied and weighed our plans and thoughts... Are we committed? Go back to 16. Are we committed? Before you look at 16, look at verse 1 again. And I want to tie it with verse 9. He says, To the man belongs the plans of the heart. But from the Lord comes the reply or the answers to those thoughts. Come to verse 9. Because he repeats himself, but the second phrase is just a little different. He says, in his heart, a man's plans his course. But the Lord determines his what? His steps. The Lord will take my plan, make the correction, give me the proper steps now to take. He'll show me how to move. The Lord to do that. But this is what has to happen in order for him now to determine my steps. We find it there in verse 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. If you don't commit it to the Lord after you've had this time of talking with the Lord and putting the plans all together, God says, now commit it all to me. Whatever you're going to do, commit it to me. The word commit is to roll it upon in the Hebrew. It's similar to what the Lord is talking about. Cast all your burdens upon who? Upon him. Give them all over to him. There's another issue now of, of trusting him. And he says, roll it upon me. Commit it to the Lord, whatever you do, and your plans will what? I want you to take that last part as God's promise. If you commit it to him, he's promised to cause it to succeed. If you commit it to him, <coughs> you will be successful. You're the one that has to make the commitment though. Even after you reasoned everything out. And you think you got your running instructions. 
And you think you got the plan and you know the direction. What you have to notice is this. When you start to activate a plan, all the folks you got to deal with. When you begin to put a plan into action, are you going to run short of money? God says, if you committed to me, I'll take care of that. Have you ever thought about the pitfalls in the plan, the, the bumps in the road? God said, I'll take care of that. How about some of the doors that are hard to open? God said, I'll open doors that no man can open. And I'll shut doors that no man can open. And when you commit it to God, he begins to work on your behalf. And he brings it to its completion for this purpose, that you'll open your mouth and praise him. You'll open your mouth and praise him. For he says, catch what he says, the Lord works out everything for his own ends. All things work together for good for those who are what? Called of God. And we need to remember that. Our plans have to fit into his overall plan. And he will direct all of our thoughts if we commit it to him. And if we commit it to him, he's faithful. He's faithful to order our steps. Why? The scripture says, God orders the steps of a righteous person. When all the plans and all the thoughts are right and in agreement with God and God accepts them, God says, I'll order your steps. Because the plans of a righteous man or a righteous woman is ordered by God and he wants you to succeed not to fail let's pray Father we thank you oh God for your sustaining grace and we thank you oh God for helping us every time we need help